Mark chapter 2, 18 John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins." One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the, and the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the, pre the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which, is, which it is not lawful for any but the priests to eat and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. When Johnny and I were talking this week about the sermon passage, and I mentioned to him that it's uh, the two main topics of the passage are fasting and keeping the Sabbath, we were, we were both saying together that when we think about fasting and Sabbath keeping, we feel guilty and a little confused. You, you, what, how do we do this? I, I, I know I should be doing it. I know I should be fasting and I, I know I should be doing something Sabbath related, but I'm not sure how and I'm pretty sure I'm messing it up. God's word gives us loads of commands, loads of rules. Do this, don't do that. And God's word speaks of a whole host of religious activities. Fasting, observing the Sabbath, sacrifice, feasting, prayer, tithes and offerings, baptism, the Lord's Supper, what do we do with all these activities? How, how do we do these well? How do we know if we're doing them well? What is the law for? Especially for us as, as New Covenant Christians, what is the law for? How do we relate to the law as Christians living after Christ's death, resurrection, and ascension, waiting for his second coming? What is, what is God aiming at in our religious activities? And in the passage that I just read, Mark 2, 18 through 28, Mark relates two confrontational conversations that Jesus has with the crowds and then with the Pharisees. First, he has a conversation with the crowds about fasting. And second, a conversation with the Pharisees about proper observance of the Sabbath. And in these conversations, Jesus points to himself as the key to understanding the law and religious activities. 
Jesus indicates in, this, in these passages that, where am I? There I am. Jesus indicates that the goal of fasting is communion with him. And the intent of the Sabbath is resting in him and in his provision. And we all know if you've spent any time in the Gospels, it's, it's well known that one of the major themes in, in all four Gospels is the animosity between Jesus and the Pharisees. It just pops up over and over and over again. Last week, we saw the Pharisees were disgusted with Jesus because he was eating with tax collectors and sinners. Next week, at the beginning of chapter three, we're gonna see the Pharisees mad at Jesus for healing a man on the Sabbath. It's just shot throughout the Gospels is this animosity between Jesus and the Pharisees. And this week, we see the Pharisees, they're questioning Jesus' leadership of his disciples. They're questioning how he is leading his disciples in their habits with fasting and observing the Sabbath. They do it differently than Jesus. Over and over, we see Jesus confronting the Pharisees in their interpretation and practice of the law. And in his confrontation of the Pharisees, what matters for us is that Jesus is shining the spotlight on their hearts. And, and in turn, he's shining the spotlight on our hearts. He's, he's revealing that their heart motivations are prideful, man-centered, arrogant, and ultimately, ultimately godless. These Pharisees are ultimately godless. The, the best summary of Jesus's assessment of the Pharisees is probably in Mark chapter 12, Mark 12, 24, Jesus says to the Pharisees, you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God, which is an inflammatory thing to say to religious professionals. These men had probably memorized most of the Old Testament. And he looks at them and he says, you don't know your Bibles. And you don't know the God who's in the Bible. You know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. In the Gospels, the words and actions of the Pharisees, and most importantly, their attitude toward and response to Jesus, the way that the Pharisees respond to Jesus, reveals that they do not understand the Bible. And they do not, they have devoted their lives to a Bible that they don't know, and they don't know the God in the Bible. And what I want you to see this morning is that the purpose and goal in all of the religious activities of the Bible, fasting, Sabbath, everything, the aim of everything that God calls his people to do is ultimately to help them know, love, depend on, and draw near to Jesus. The goal of fasting is Jesus. The goal of the Sabbath is Jesus. The core error and the tragedy of the Pharisees is that they devoted their lives to religious activities, but they missed out on the good, gracious king who was the goal of those activities. That's what we're going to draw out this morning. So look at this first story, verses 18 through 22, when, when Jesus interacts with the crowds about fasting. The crowds come to Jesus and they, they look at the disciples of the Pharisees and the disciples of John and the disciples of Jesus 
and they say, yours are different. So they go to Jesus and they say, what is your approach to fasting? AKA, why don't your disciples fast? When the Pharisees' disciples and John the Baptist's disciples, they fast regularly. What's, what's going on here? So let's back up a little bit. One of the best descriptions of fasting and its role in the life of, of God's people is in the book of Daniel. So if you have your Bibles, turn quickly to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9, verses 3 through 5. This is Daniel. He's, he's, in, uh, he's in Babylon. He's, he's an exile. He's outside of the promised land. God has driven his people out of the promised land because of their disobedience. And Daniel is trying to live as a faithful believer in exile. So he's been reading his Bible. He's been reading Jeremiah the prophet. Verse 3, then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules." Daniel reads Jeremiah the prophet, and Jeremiah had prophesied the end of the exile, the time when the exile would come to an end and God's people could begin to return to the promised land. And Daniel realized as he was reading Jeremiah's prophecy, that time is coming. We're we're basically there. And as he realized that, his response was lament, was seeking God by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. In other words, he's repenting on behalf of the people. He's he's going to God with his repentance. Daniel looked at his position as an exile and and the position of his fellow Israelites, you know, exiled in this foreign land, and So he looked at his position and he looked at God's word in the law and the prophets that that had said, your exile is because of your disobedience and and your, your exile is about to come to an end. And so Daniel's response is to turn to God in prayer, in a plea for mercy, with fasting. Fasting, in other words, is an appropriate expression of repentance for God's people. It's an, it's an appropriate expression of repentance. Think of it as a loss of appetite. You've, you've had this happen. Something bad happens to you or you've had this happen. You do something really stupid. You step in it. You hurt somebody and you know you've hurt somebody. And you are, because you realize what you've done, you don't want to eat. You lose, you, I'm not eating dinner tonight. I just feel sick to my stomach. And there's a sense in which that's what's happening here with Daniel. He, he sees what has led his, himself and God's people into exile, and it just makes him sick to his stomach. Oh, we have grieved God. Oh, we have disobeyed. Oh, we have walked in rebellion. And it's, so it's, a, it's an expression of repentance and 
of a hunger for God. I am, I am grieved by what has happened, and I'm, I'm, I'm desperate for God to come and help. I'm desperate for God to come and, and be near to us, to come and deliver us, to come and fulfill his promise to us. Verse, verse 19 of Daniel, chapter 9. This is his, the end of his prayer. Oh, Lord, hear. Oh, Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake. Oh, my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. Just this, this heart cry to God, God, hear us. Forgive us. Act on our behalf. Come visit us. Draw near to us. So do you see how his fasting is an expression of his hunger for God? Psalm 63 is, is what our fasting ought to sound like. In Psalm 63, verse 1, the psalmist says, O oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And then in verse five, the psalmist says, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. Sometimes our fasting is an expression that physical food is not enough for me. I want spiritual food. I want to sit at a table with God and be nourished by God. I want my soul to be satisfied and, and this physical satisfaction is not enough. And so after Daniel's time, the Jews have picked up on this pattern and they've incorporated fasting into their religious routine. In the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector in Matthew 18, the Pharisee says, in his pride, he says, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. And that's the problem. There we see the problem that Jesus is identifying. The problem with what fasting had become for many in Jesus' day is that instead of a self-humbling and an expression for hunger and, 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 and a desire for God's presence, it had become a notch in the belt. Look how holy I am. I fast twice a week. Fasting became about them, not about God. Because of their hard-heartedness, Jesus exposes this tragic irony in those who had fasted with this attitude. They were claiming to hunger and thirst for God and his presence. That's the purpose of fasting. Daniel saying, God, hear. God, forgive. God, act. The psalmist saying, my soul thirsts for you. That's what the Pharisees claimed they were doing in their fasting. I'm hungry for God. And the irony is God's right there and they don't see him. I'm just so hungry for God, I won't be satisfied until God comes and visits us. He's there. Their hearts are darkened. Their eyes are blinded to him. They don't understand that God is standing right in front of them. The goal of their fasting had arrived and they missed him completely. Jesus draws this picture of the, of the wedding feast. He says, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? You, you wait to eat. You preserve your hunger until the, the wedding party arrives. 
at the reception. You wait for the, for the bridegroom to come. But then when the bridegroom comes, you eat. It is sinful to fast at a wedding feast. And Jesus says, why would my disciples fast when I'm here? Why would they express a hunger for God when God is with them? The thing that they want is in front of them. So there's no need for them to fast right now. And you are missing it. And then Jesus, Jesus does say, and this is a word for us, verse 20, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. That's today. That's where we live. Daniel was waiting for the coming of the Messiah, didn't understand that there would be two comings. Now we live in this, the first coming has happened, the bridegroom has come, but the bridegroom has been taken away. And now we're, we're hungry for him to come back. The reason, so first of all, Christians ought to fast. He says, when the bridegroom is taken away, then they will fast. So there ought to be a pattern of fasting in the Christian life. But it's because, it's because we want him to come back. We're longing for his return. So we live in that day. We long for the wedding supper of the lamb. We're not satisfied with the food that we have here. And so it's appropriate for us to skip some meals and spend that time praying. When you fast, you're saying, this, like Colossians that Kim read, these things are a shadow but the substance belongs to Christ. Our religious activities are a shadow that points to the substance of Christ. And so we're saying the shadow is not enough for us. We long for the substance. We, we ought to fast now because someday we will sit down with Jesus for an eternal feast. That's the heart behind fasting. And Jesus is pointing out that the, the disciples of the Pharisees are missing it. The, the Pharisees are missing it. I'm here. You don't need to fast anymore. And that's, we're not going to spend much time on this, but that's a little difference between the disciples of John and the disciples of the Pharisees. In, in John, when the disciples, his disciples start looking at Jesus, going away to Jesus, Jesus, John says, yeah, that's exactly right. I'm the friend of the bridegroom. It is right for them to go to Jesus. He must increase, I must decrease. John is leading his disciples in such a way that they're prepared for Jesus. The Pharisees are leading their disciples in such a way that they don't recognize Jesus when he walks in front of them. That's a, that's a warning for us. Are we following Jesus? Are we, are we speaking about Jesus in such a way that, that people encounter Jesus on their own? Or is our, is our life and teaching and, and ministry actually leading people towards legalism and self-righteousness and, and death? So Jesus looks at them and says, you're missing the point of fasting. I'm right here. And then he does the same with the Sabbath. Verses 23 through 28. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. 
And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? So we know that on the Sabbath, Jews are supposed to rest. They're not supposed to do labor. And part of labor is harvest. And it was uh, routine. They didn't have quick trips or McDonald's drive throughs in Jesus's day. And so as people are traveling, it was legal, it was permissible in the law that you can you can take fruit out of people's uh, orchards and you can take grain out of people's fields as you're passing through for, for a snack. You can sustain yourself in your traveling by taking you know, tiny amounts of grain or fruit. And so that's what the disciples are doing. They're grabbing a handful of, of wheat and they're rubbing it in their hands and then snacking on the, on the kernels. And the Pharisees are saying, they're harvesting. And first of, all, first of all, that's a very legalistic interpretation of that. That's a very narrow, uh, unkind, ungracious interpretation that how could they be doing this? Look, they're, they're harvesting. It's like they're not harvesting, they're eating a snack. They're sustaining themselves here. So that, that's the first problem. But, but more importantly, Jesus points out that the Pharisees just misunderstand the purpose of the Sabbath in general. It's not just that they have an overly narrow interpretation of the Sabbath. It's that they don't understand the Sabbath at all. Jesus tells this, reminds them of this story. So again, in, in verse 25, he said to them, have you never read what David did? He's saying to a Pharisee, have you not read your Old Testament? Like saying to a pastor, do you not know the Gospels? This, this irony here, he's, he's poking them, push, prodding them, pushing them to, to see where, where their error is. But he says, you, you don't understand the Bible. You're not rightly interpreting what has happened in Scripture. So in, in 1 Samuel 21, that's the story that Jesus points to. David, he's been anointed as the king, but he's not reigning as king yet. Saul is still the king, and Saul is trying to kill David. And so David is fleeing from the presence of Saul. And as he's fleeing with, with his small band of, of men, like Jesus with his small band of disciples, as, as David is fleeing, he comes across uh, a priest, and it's the Sabbath, and there's the bread of the presence. And so the bread of the presence is meant for the priests. It's, a, it's an offering to God. It's this bread that's been consecrated to God and is for the priests to eat. And Jesus himself says that. Uh, he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. So you have G David taking this bread that's typically meant for the priests, eating it and giving it to his disciples. And Jesus said, that was right. That was good because Jesus and Ahimelech is the name of the priest. Abiathar is the high priest. Ahimelech is the priest that David encounters. Ahimelech prioritized mercy and provision on the Sabbath. Here are men in need. Here are men who are hungry. I have bread. This is bread that's been consecrated to God. And I'm going to use this consecrated bread 
to feed these men who have a need. Because mercy is the law also. And mercy is what God is after in our keeping of the law. And Jesus is saying, I'm doing the same thing. So think about the Sabbath for a minute. Genesis 2, God has created everything. Sixth day, he creates man. Steps back on, his, on the seventh day, he steps back from his creation and says, I'm finished. It's over. And so he rests. Genesis 2, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and rested on the seventh day from all his work. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done on creation. And then in Exodus 20, when the Ten Commandments are given, and one of the commandments is remember the Sabbath to keep it holy, think about who he's giving that Sabbath command to. A bunch of slaves who have never rested a day in their life. Jesus, or excuse me, God says to the Israelites in Exodus 20, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. I'm your God. I brought you out of Egypt. I command you to rest. I command you on the Sabbath to, to take a break. Six days you shall labor, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Psalm, Psalm 3, verse 5, the psalmist said, I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. The purpose of Sabbath is, to, is God telling his people, you are creatures. You are, not built, you are not machines that are built to run 24-7. You are, you are creatures who need rest. You go to sleep, I'll stay awake. You sit, in, you sit at home and rest. I will keep the universe spinning. Lay down, wake up, the Lord will sustain you. That's the purpose. So, so Sabbath, is a, it's a gift and it's a test for God's people. Here's an offer of rest. Rest in my provision. Will you take that offer or will you seek to get ahead? Will you seek to run the universe on your own? So the Sabbath is God's inv invitation to people. Take a break, trust God to provide, rest in all of his goodness and kindness. And the disciples are with God, with Jesus, the Son of God. They're with the king, and the king is, is providing for them grain. And so on the Sabbath, they are resting in Jesus and in his provision. And so Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. Sabbath is my gift to man my invitation for, for you to rest in my provision. My disciples, look at my disciples. They are resting. They are enjoying rest in me. Do you want to join them? Do you want to come in and find rest also? So fasting and Sabbath, these two religious activities that we, we struggle with, Jesus is reminding us these activities are meant to point you to me. They're meant to help you find your rest, find your satisfaction, find your sustaining grace in me. 
one of the books that I read um, in college that was really, really helpful to me, and this will be where we land. Uh, this book was really helpful to me. It was John Piper's book, When I Don't Desire God. When I Don't Desire God. So I, I was helped in college by, by reading Piper and, and his sermons and his, his books. And he has this statement, you, you know this statement, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. I believe that. I, I believe that the Bible points in that direction. That, that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. I believe that God is worthy of all of our affection, all of our joy, all of our delight, all of our hope. And I believe that we will never find someone or something better than God, more satisfying than God. I believe that with all, all my heart. I will die on that hill. But I don't always, desi- I don't always want him. A lot of days I don't want him. A lot of days I don't feel that that's true. I, my, my head says God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. My heart says I don't feel anything. Right? I don't feel much. And in fact, I feel other things. And so what do we do then? What do we do when we don't desire God? And that's what that book was about, and that's how that book helped me. And, and here's, here's the tie to fasting and, and Sabbath. There, there are two ways to approach fasting. One is like Daniel. You fast because you genuinely feel this hunger for God. You genuinely feel repentance for your sin. You genuinely are... Psalm 63, your heart and your flesh are crying for God. Your, your soul won't be satisfied in anything but God. And so you're saying, I'm not going to eat right now because I just want more of God. That's one way to fast. And that honors God greatly. And so do that. We should do that as believers. Say to God, I'm hungry for you. My soul's not going to be satisfied. Food is good, but you're better. And so I'm going to fast. But when we don't feel that way, does that mean we shouldn't even try? No, when we don't feel that way the, way, the other way to glorify God in fasting is to be honest with him. To say, God, I don't, God, I know I should be hungry for you, and I know that my soul shouldn't be satisfied in anything but you, but right now my appetite feels dull. My heart does not believe that you satisfy me more than anything that the world offers I find myself constantly settling for counterfeit passing pleasures or, or, or I feel this settled gray, this, this fuzzy lack of feeling anything. God, that's how I feel right now. So, so please help. Please stir my affections. Please restore to me the joy of my salvation. And then you fast. You say, God, I don't feel like fasting but I'm going to fast because I want you to help me feel like fasting. I want you to help me stir my affections in the direction that you want them to go. That glorifies God too. And the same with the Sabbath. We keep the Sabbath as Christians by resting in Christ and trusting him to provide for all of our needs. So we don't, sa- we don't Sabbath one day a week. We Sabbath seven days a week. We're, we always ought to be resting 
in Jesus. We always ought to be trusting him. We always ought to be satisfied in him. And, and because we're resting in Jesus, we should develop healthy habits, healthy rhythms of work and rest. There's freedom for that to look different for different people. But the other way to keep the Sabbath is to confess that you are struggling to rest in Jesus, to confess that you are struggling to trust him for your provision, to confess that you need help to do those things, and then doing those things. I should be resting in Jesus. I struggle to. Please help me to do so. And then you do it, and you trust Jesus to provide and to bring your heart to a place of rest. So again, these Pharisees, they're approaching fasting and Sabbath as, here's how to make God happy with me. Here's here's how to do the right things to, to earn God's pleasure. And Jesus says, no, no, no. The, the fasting and the Sabbath is meant to point you to me that you, I, I am pleased with you because of what I've done, not because of what you've done. I'm the one that draws near to you. You don't have to come, you don't have to climb up into heaven to get to me. I'll come down to you. So fast so that I, so that you draw near to me. Sabbath, rest, because I'm giving you rest. So again, close here with Colossians 2. The sh- that idea of the sub- sh- these things are a shadow, fasting and feasting and Sabbath. These are a shadow, but the substance belongs to Christ. We fumble our way through fasting and Sabbath and prayer and Bible reading and evangelism and tithes and offerings. We don't do it to gain God's favor, but to enjoy God's favor and to bring our hearts in line with our heads to practice and do what we know in our heads to be good and from God and for our joy. And then God does a good work in us as we seek to obey him. Let's pray. Father, it's so easy for us to come to church, to open our Bibles, to, to begin to pray, to give money, all these different activities, to fast, to do these things, so that we feel better, so that, okay, now God's happy with me. Now now I can check that off and move on to the next thing. But Lord, would you slow us down? Would you help us to remember in our religious activities, the goal is Jesus. The goal is communion with him. The goal is to come and sit at his table, the table that's been purchased with his body and blood. In Jesus we pray. Amen.